Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now Tally-ho and boo-hoo. Hello, boys. Hello. It's good to see you. Yes, I've come today to talk to you about your movie from last week. Oh, my God. From I'm All Right, Jack. No. Oh. no, no, no it's me. It's, it's Lieutenant Sharpsy, you see. As I was I was flying the plane in the Dumb Busters, you see. I was flying in the, uh, the uh, number four plane. Yes, we crashed into a mountain, if you remember. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes it was quite sad, quite tragic. And uh, uh, even though it didn't happen in real life, I still quite died in that production. Oh, hold on. Uh, sorry, sorry. Someone's, someone's trying to make his way in here. Hold oh. on one second. Here. Oh, I said, oh, good boy, old fellow. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, I just I just came here to say uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, I I used I used a lot of your movie for uh, for Star Wars. I say, who is this bearded Tony that's made his way in here? Oh, this is George Lucas. I don't know how he got in here. Oh yes, of the of the star thing. Uh, 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 uh Star Wars. Yes, yes, it? I've heard of that. Yes, we inspired your movie. Yes, good good show, old boy. Good show, young man. I'm glad that my death could inspire you to make untold millions of pounds. I just wanted to uh, come by and let you know that uh, I won't be sending your family any royalty checks uh, because uh, I no longer own uh, Star Wars. Well, that's understandable. I mean, I was only an actor in the movie. I certainly didn't write it or have any uh, uh, part in its production, but I certainly played a pilot and then died in the process. One second. My my friend also wants to come in here. Oh, yes. I'm I'm so happy to meet the living. Oh, hello. Misa, so happy to meet you. This is, uh, this is Jared. Jared Binks. Hello. Oh! I say, I, I, I don't mean to mission it. I don't mean to, to offend anyone, but, um, where might you be from? Misa from? Wherever you said things is offensive from, to be from! Well, if I'm to check my, uh, my Star Wars encyclopedia, which I always carry with me, it, uh, it says that you're from the planet Naboo. Misa don't know. Misa not big Star Wars nerd. Misa come in and ruin everything. Okay, but this is this is quite fun, I'd say. Uh, I, I I just want to say uh, we we gotta go. Uh, oh, 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 I just turned into Jimmy Stewart. Oh. Uh, oh. Hi, Mr. Stewart. Now there's a person I know. I'd love your movies. Yes, oh. I, I took inspiration from you as you flew actual planes. You well, see. well, I want to thank you, and I just want to mention a uh, 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 Jason, another ghost power we never told you guys about is we can actually uh, uh, switch. 
Ah, uh, so, so even though George Lucas is not dead, his soul is. So I took over his body for a moment here. What can happen? I hadn't heard that we could do that. <laughs> yes, hello, my friends. <laughs> Look, you son of a bitch. It's been a long time, Jimmy. A long time. Let's, uh, let's go get a couple of brewskis. I think that sounds like a wonderful plan, my uh, friend. Uh, for screen a country in which we serve, here comes Brandon and Jason, blah, blah, blah. Let's Enjoy go. Enjoy the movie. Let's go, friend. Tally-ho. We gotta get better security. Like, we only literally saw the last five seconds of whatever that was. I, we walked in the room. There were all these ghosts around the microphone. And George Lucas, for some reason. And some guy in a Jar Jar Binks mask. And they're just yelling into the microphone. And I don't believe that was Ahmed Best. No. No, he's very he's very busy. He's very he hosts busy. that Star Wars game show now. Is that on yet? Yeah. No, it's good. It was good. It's on? Yeah. No, it's, it's on, on Disney YouTube. Plus. It's on YouTube. Oh, it's supposed to be on Disney+. Plus. Well, I it's on YouTube. Episode nine, my favorite, uh, one of my favorite comedians, Jimmy Pardo, his son Oliver is on that episode. Oliver Pardo. Yeah, a little Oliver Pardo, so go check him out. Jason, yes. th- they did a terrible introduction for us, but this Ooh. is a podcast, and it's called For Screen. I'm Country. And I'm Brendan. And I'm Jason. As I said. As you often say. Yeah. But this is a podcast where we talk about the British Film Institute Top 100 British Films of All Time, as composed in the very British year of 1999, the year where we partied like, like it, it was. 1999. Right. Yeah. And we are continuing in that tradition by talking about our next movie on this list, which is number 92, Ooh. in which we serve. But before we do that, Jason, we need to read some comments about last week's film, The Dam Busters. Let's check in. I'm very sorry, folks. Jason had to step out for a moment. Um, I'm not going to beat around the bush. There, there's, you know, there's a bit of an illusion here. We obviously record these out of order. Don't worry about it. Jason's not here. It's fine. You got me. You got Brendan, the host of this podcast, the star of this show. And I can say that because Jason's not here to defend himself. Um, but I'm going to read some of your comments uh, about the Dam Busters. There aren't that many. Um, I'm not shocked. I'm not shocked that not a whole lot of people <laughs> in today's day and age have seen this movie. Um, but I'm going to read the comments anyway. So we get a note from Kieran O'Connell here who says, Crackingly good film. Essentially about engineering. Yeah, I mean, it is. It's it's classified as a war movie, and we do see, of course, we talked about, uh, Jason and I talked about in detail, that final battle uh, that was easily the best part of the movie. But, yeah, when you break it down, it really comes down to a story about engineering, which is, I think, is funny. Um, if you're going in expecting a war film, you might get that for about, you know, like I said, 25, 30 minutes. So thank you, Kieran. You are 100% correct. Uh, we have another comment here from Kenneth McAllendon. I hope I probably just butchered that. Uh, Kenneth says, I love that movie as much as I hate the name of the dog in it. Oh, preach. Bias alert. I am predisposed to like any movie where an engineer is one of the heroes just based on my occupation. Again, gotta love, gotta love the love for engineering. I love it. I love it all. Um, yeah, the dog. Yeah. <laughs> oh boy. Um, I get why it's there, because it was the dog's name, and I don't think people uh, were really as, uh, you know, observant back then. 
about uh, whether they should put certain content in their films or not. So, you know, that was made today. They certainly would change the name of the dog. And, of course, you'd have people, uh, I don't know, tearing down statues of uh, people that were for dogs. I don't know. What am I talking about? Tearing down statues. Yeah, people tearing down statues of, like, progressive uh, uh, dog names. Statues of people who were for progressive dog names. So they'd be tearing down those statues. That's what they'd be doing. Those right-wing nut jobs. Um, where am I going with that? It's been a long day, folks. Uh, Topher Lundell says, unwatchable today. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, that's interesting. Um, I don't think it's I, I don't think it's unwatchable, but I can certainly see how it's it doesn't age super gracefully. I'm not even just talking about the dog's name. Um, the movie is like, you know, it's, it's, it moves at a sturdy pace. Um, <laughs> you know, you might say glacial. It's, it's not, um, it's certainly not a, uh, a fast moving picture, but yeah, I, I can see how it would feel. It would, it does seem very antiquated. So I can definitely understand that comment. Um, I don't think it was unwatchable, but I respect your opinion, Topher Lundell. I respect you. Uh, and then finally, we have a comment from Graham Hill who says, I have a bit of an attachment to this as my grandfather worked on the planes in the real life version of this. That's incredible. Graham, I'm sorry. I'm blown away by that. Um, I want to know more about that. Like, what did he do? Was he, was he the guy? Was he the guy? Was he the engineer? No, right? Or did he just make? Did he did he make the planes? Did he work on the construction of the planes? Like I'm really curious to find out more about that. So please, Graham, please tell me more. Tell me more. Um, and that's all the comments we have for the Dam Busters. So I mean, I'll just do our last bit here. We I usually do this with Jason, but I think I can safely answer for him um, because. We always compare this movie to the AFI Top 100. So the Dam Busters was number 68 on the BFI Top 100. And we compare it to whatever number 68 is on the AFI, the American Film Institute, Top 100 films. And their number 68 is a little Clint Eastwood picture called Unforgiven, which is a clear winner in this case. And I know Jason loves that movie as well. So I know he would definitely pick Unforgiven as a winner. So I'm answering for him. As uh, as I have uh, power to do right now, because, you know, again, he's not here to defend himself or say anything about it. So, fuck it. But that's it. Thank you. Thank you for the comments. Um, I understand this was not a, uh, a film that was widespread uh, or, or, you know, much beloved to this day. But I do appreciate the comments. Uh, looking forward to Peter Jackson's remake sometime in 2038. Uh, that having been said... Uh, we are now going to move on to this week's episode. We are, of course, talking about In Which We Serve. you feckless cunt let's do this 
<laughs> wow. Hey. Jason, we're going to talk about In Which We Serve, the co- a co-direction of Mr. David Lean, who yes. we've talked about quite a few times. Legendary. And Noel Coward. Possibly at least as legendary, maybe even more so. Not Probably not for directing. No, certainly. But as legendary of a figure, like you said, if not more. He was a personality, a character. He was a character, and this movie has several characters, and here are some of the actors that portray those characters. Sure. We have Noel Coward in the lead. Of course. Playing Captain Kinross. Because let's point out right out of the gate that Noel Coward wrote this movie. Noel Coward stars in this movie. And he Noel Coward co-directed this movie. Noel Coward wrote the uh, score for this movie. And no one has had the audacity to do that since 1942. Um, Noel Coward, yes. And also we have uh, Bernard Miles, which who we've talked about on a few other movies, I believe, playing uh, Chief Petty Officer Walter Hardy. We have John Mills. I feel like we've done so many movies with John Mills, mm-hmm. but he plays uh, Shorty Blake. Yeah, um, I know. He looks familiar. What else was he in that we've seen? Uh, a lot. Yeah. Like, I'd have to go through the list because he's been in a lot. This is like the fifth or sixth movie we've done with him in it. Yeah. Uh, we have Celia Johnson yes. making her return from Brief Encounter. Oh, well, I mean, really before Brief Encounter. For us, it's making yes, her return. For sure. As uh, Alex Kinross, uh, Captain Kinross's wife. Uh, we have Joyce Carey as Kath Hardy. That's Walter's uh, wife. Kay Walsh as Frida Lewis, the lady who uh, gets romantically entangled with Shorty. Mm-hmm. Um, and just wanted to note this. Uh, much like A Matter of Life and Death, we have another very, very, very small appearance from Richard Attenborough as Young Stoker. Yeah, which, of course, in my head, when I saw him pop up, I thought, oh, that guy looks like the dude from Sandlot, which I think every time I see young Richard Attenborough and didn't realize until the end, it's like, oh, shit, it's him. No wonder he looked familiar. That's right. So, Jason... I forgot the name of the fucking movie. Oh, In Which We Serve. In Which We Serve, 1942, made during World War II. That is one thing. I want to just make that super clear to everyone right now when we talk about this movie. Because this was made in the midst of World War II. Yeah. Hitler was very much still alive. Yeah. The war was still raging on. Um, it wasn't a sure thing. It <clears throat> was not a sure thing. People were worried. Mm. Um, and this movie comes along and it makes a pretty big impact. Yeah, and it's an interesting movie to put out in the middle of war. but it's Because uh, it is, in effect, a piece of propaganda. But it's also a pretty solid movie, too. Um, yeah, I would say, I would argue this reminded me of two other... It reminded me of last week's movie, The Dam Busters, obviously. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, but it also kind of reminded me of Fires Were Started. A little bit, it, yeah. In the sense that, you, like you said, this is sort of like a propaganda-type yeah. thing. But I feel like this is also what happens when you get like a real like film. No, I don't want to take away from the other movies. But yeah. this is what happens when you get like a narrative filmmaker yeah. to put together a yeah. quote unquote propaganda movie. No, Noel Coward and David Lean were not trying to make a docudrama here. They were trying to make a film. And they did so. Uh, which is about the exploits of the commander and crew of the HMS Turin, which is a World War II era destroyer, because it's mm-hmm. in the middle of World War II that's going out and fighting the Nazis in the high seas. And we get some pretty cool battle scenes in this movie uh, uh, using the effects available to them to their greatest effect, I would say. For pretty good, honestly. Yeah. Pretty, pretty good. And with a combination of model shots and... Yeah. Um, you know, but I mean, but that's not what this movie is totally about. I I no. had heard this movie described as an action movie, but uh, you know, I mean, for 1942, I would imagine certainly. But. I would say, yeah, it's very reminiscent of. I mean, it's kind of it's. Hmm. 
How would I describe? There's a movie on the AFI list. The name of the, the name of the movie escapes me, but one of the lead actor, one of the lead characters, has like a hook for a hand. Mm-hmm. Um, it's Hook. It's not Hook. <laughs> Best years of our lives. That's oh, the movie, okay. and that that movie is like. Uh, well, Peter O'Toole in that movie? N- uh, no. Okay. Um, you're thinking of something else. My favorite year is what I'm thinking of. My favorite Martian is that Ooh. movie. No, but that movie. Um, I guess that's not even really that much. There really, really wasn't even combat in that movie, so maybe that's a bad example. But that was also like a movie where it was it was kind of positioned as a war movie, yeah. and it was more about uh, the characters. And, it, and in that movie, it's about three characters, much like this movie is really about when you get down to it, um, because it really focuses on the captain, mm-hmm. uh, Captain Kinross, yes. uh, Walter Hardy, and Shorty Blake, Christopher Lloyd. What? Was Christopher Lloyd the guy that starred in My Favorite Martian? Yes. Okay, I just wanted to know. <laughs> so random. <laughs> it was a callback. So, Jason, yes, you see this is about the Tauren. Yes. Um, I mean, the basic plot is what they, you know, they get attacked. The, sh- the ship is sinking. Yep. And they're reminiscing about, like, kind of what what brought them all there. Exactly. It's an excuse to kind of flash back to the formative <laughs> scenes that led to this moment of them all being in the water and being strafed by JU-88s and... To me, this is like, um, it's fine because it's a movie and we haven't seen the flashback footage yet, but it's like, this would be the way they would do an episode of a TV show where they have like a clip show. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) This this movie's a clip show. That's right. (laughs) Remember before the war? We already, uh, that was the second episode of the Clerks cartoon. They did a clip show for their second episode and it was really funny. I loved watching the clip shows just because, uh, especially when it's a cartoon, um, the animation sometimes looks worse. <laughs> so oh yeah, well like, no, because it's like a it's like a double transfer too. So it's like yeah. it's being taken off the original tape onto another tape and then being broadcast <laughs> to you. Yeah, it's pretty great. Uh, so yeah, and it's just I mean that's basically the plot. I mean there's not really a whole lot to get. Yeah, into we kind of follow the happenings of the characters. We follow the captain and then uh, what's his face Blake. And would you Shorty say the Blake. Other ones? Shorty Blake and, and Walter Hardy. Yeah, Walter and, Hardy's the older. And the gentleman. ladies, of course, the lady that Shorty knocks up. <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned the ladies of this movie, Jason, because mm. I think unlike last week's movie where we had that one female character who was like the main character's wife, yeah. and she got like one scene, I think this movie actually has some pretty decent female roles for yeah. 1942. Yeah, this movie definitely gives us some more insight into how things are on the home front than something like the Dambusters. We really the only of the home front we see is dude at his house working on experiments and he's somewhere probably deep in the country far away from the you know the prying eyes of nazi bombers right and what i really like is and i think the highlight for me is celia johnson yeah well she making is. her way back from cobb county georgia yep. <laughs> <laughs> making her way from brief encounter which actually was made after this but you know for our purposes brief encounter we already talked about yep. But um, surprising here, not surprising because she was great in that movie, but I, it's a totally different kind of yeah. performance where she's, she's very much like... Um, if she cheated on her husband, she kept her fucking mouth shut, I'm saying. She does seem like a much more confident character. Yes, absolutely. Let's actually uh, play an early clip here um, of just her and the captain together because I feel like they have kind of a rapport yes. that's a little bit refreshing. Mm-hmm. It's, she's not just like, you know, the housewife. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? She kind of keep, she, she keeps up with him. I'll be up in ten minutes. Promise? Promise. Are you coming up too, Mummy? Yes, darling. All right, come on, Abby. I'll race you. Wait, that's not fair. They've been wild with excitement all day. Darling, you must be exhausted. I get your drink. How would you like whiskey instead or a cocktail? Well, seeing as how it's a gala evening, let's have a Kinross special. I guessed it. It's all ready. Only wants the ice. I made a private bet of myself to forget Elaine and Equantra. Wrong again. I had a sort of feeling this was an occasion. 
With a trial satisfactory, darling, will you please? More than pleased. She's a lovely ship, beautiful manners, does what she's told without a murmur. Why are you making such a rush job of the commissioning? Oh, I don't know. I like getting things done quickly. Is that the only reason? We're living in strange times, darling. It's as well to be prepared for anything. Yes, I suppose it is. Nothing to worry about. No, of course not. Here, try this. It may be a bit too sweet. My love. My love. Just right, not a bit too sweet. Miss me? Of course not. I never gave you a thought. I've been much too busy. That's right. What's the surprise for dinner? Grouse. Maureen sent us a brace from Scotland. Good for Maureen. That's a girl with a really fine perception. <laughs> and a bit high. I expect you like that, won't you? That new dress? <laughs> no, darling, I've had it for ages. I swear I've never kept eyes on it before. Only about 20 times, my love. Perhaps it's you that look new. As good as new, anyway. Is there going to be a war, do you think? Yes, I think there is. Oh. No good worrying about till it comes. Not much good then, really. Don't be sad. I'm not sad, really. I'm just sort of gathering myself together. Any more of the Kim Ross special left in the shaker? Yes, of course. And also, so yeah, she keeps up with him very well. And also, she is like well aware. It's right during that time, I believe it is in 1939, where we start off the earliest flashback, Mm -hmm. where the war is like on the brink. Like you feel it coming. Yeah, there's still question on people's minds whether there's actually going to be a war or not. Mm -hmm. But obviously our heroes know what's on the horizon. Well, it's interesting. It's interesting to get that. Um, that per- that kind of era, because I feel like we don't see that a lot. We always get, we usually get movies that are like, you know, the war is already happening. Mm. The only one other one I can think of where we got it a little bit before the start of it was Hope and Glory. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so again, strong female characters in this movie, I think. At least Celia Johnson. Mm. A much different performance than Brief Encounter. Yes. Uh, fantastic as always. Fantastic as always, yeah, for sure. And again, I guess David Lean must have been impressed with her because then she work, works on him. One of the few repeat offenders in David Lean's uh, repertoire. Outside of Alec Guinness. I mean, he usually yeah. works with and people. Peter O'Toole. He usually oh, works with people twice. Wait, was Peter O'Toole in another one? I don't think I so. Don't know. But he generally worked, David Lean generally works with people twice. Yeah. And then they get tired of him. I think Alec Guinness worked, on him, worked with him on a few movies. But uh, I don't think they liked each other. <laughs> Um, so yeah, I do like the the focus on like the you know the battle stuff as well as the stuff at home because I think it's nice to have to see like all that you know all perspectives. It, it's cool because it uh, so in the context of when this movie was released, this is released in 1942. Three in years midst, in, we were in the midst of a war. This is a movie that's kind of giving a little bit of insight into what it might be like to be on a naval ship in the middle of a battle. I mean, it's not a true portrait because it doesn't really show. While it shows some of the tragedy of battle, I would say, and some of the, you know, the the problems of it and the and the things they run into, it doesn't really show any of the horror, and that's possibly just a consequence of the time. You know, that they didn't make like super gory, like horrific movies at that time in the same way, and it wouldn't do to do that in the middle of a war, especially when you're still trying to recruit people to come and serve. Well, this is also Noel Coward trying to appeal to the Navy because. Yes. Um, I think we talked about this when we talked about uh, Brief Encounter, mm. the other movie that Noel Coward was involved with that he wrote, um, is that Winston Churchill didn't like, did not like him yeah. at all. And he actually told him, yeah. I, I wonder why, yeah. um, <laughs> you know, Noel Coward being, you know, you know, gay, um, not openly, but I mean, a lot of people knew at the time. Well, and, and we know for a fact because he, and uh, I was reading his Wikipedia article and it talked about how his, um, so he told his secretary 
uh, to write a book after he died and tell everything. But but he had wait wait until I was safely dead. I think was the quote. Yeah. And, uh, so he did. So we we all know this. He wasn't. It's was one of those things. The guy didn't like, come out and say it, but I think everybody knew what was going on. It's like Richard Simmons. Yeah. yeah. Where is Richard Simmons? Where is he? Where is he? Is he in quarantine? I don't know. Has he been in quarantine since? I think there's a 2000, podcast I could listen to since 2003. I don't know what's going on with Richard Simmons. Anyway, so <laughs> we miss him. So Noel Coward. Yeah, so Winston Churchill did not like him. Again, I wonder why. I, I wonder if Winston Churchill had his own homosexual dalliances. I mean, he was a member oh. of the British aristocracy, so it had to have happened. I at mean, some point. I mean, possibly, but also publicly, a, like probably homophobic. Oh, well, yes, of course, Winston Churchill's not manly. Well, and of course, in Britain, they did buggery laws on the books for a long time, yeah. and it was, I think, even in World War II, it was still illegal to be gay. Well, and and um, the, the point I'm making here too is that Noel Coward wanted to do stuff for you know British intelligence and. And, you know, Winston Churchill would uh, would famously say to him, like, no, no, go do your funny little acting thing. That uh, Sing for the troops. That'll entertain them. Don't try yeah. to do anything that, you know, uh, goes past your area of expertise. And Noel Carver was always, always offended by that, right? Yeah, because I'm sure he wanted to serve his country as much as anybody else did. Right. So, I mean, this is his thing. He's like, I'm going to do this movie. I'm going to move for the Navy. I'm going to work with the Navy. I'm not going to do anything that's going to make them upset. Yeah. And he actually was so relieved when this movie came out, because of the response that it got from the Navy, because many many of them said, "Oh, this is entirely accurate. Yeah. Um, thanks for not including all the shit." Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, and 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 I think I think he might have. And knowing that, I think that's why the at home stuff surprises me more hmm. is that he includes some of that stuff because you feel like if he was working completely with the Navy, didn't yeah. want to make the didn't want to make them mad, he would not include like almost anything objectionable. Well, and that's the thing is that the, the, the big thing in this movie that, re- that kind of shocked me where they went was how, um, during uh, a blitz, the house that, uh, uh, Shorty's wife is living in with her, uh, what is it? Her, it's Shorty's, it's Shorty's wife. Shorty's with... uh, uncle's wife. No, no, no. And... It's, no, it's it's Shorty's Her. wife with Walter's wife and yeah. Walter's mother-in-law. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. They're all living in a house together, and there's bombings, and they don't want to get out of the shelter and whatever. But then a bomb hits the house, and the two older ladies die, but Shorty's wife lives, and mm-hmm. the baby is delivered. Uh, but that's a dark place to go. And I mean, and, and certainly anybody who was in London at the time knew that was a possibility of happening. But for a movie, a movie, especially a movie that's technically propaganda, to go there and show that. I mean, I understand part of driving home that that um, uh, desire, or, or driving home that that desire for vengeance that I guess could get the war finished. But like at the same time, but they don't play it all out like that either. No, though. no, no, no. It, it, they don't. She doesn't stand up. She's not like Scarlett O'Hara. I mean, like as God is my witness, I will personally stab Hitler in the throat. Well, it's not like even Walter does that, yeah, right? No. But uh, the thing is about that scene too is like that scene is. Inc- I think that might be the best scene in the movie. Oh, when, whole, when like, Shorty goes to deliver the news. Well, that and also you know the scene before that where that actually happens. Yeah. Um, but I do have a question for you sure. because they are, they have an argument here. Let's just listen to their argument right. about, you know, going into the cellar and stuff like that. I wish you'd go down to the shelter, Frieda. Oh, please don't start all that again, auntie. You know I hate being shut up down there. It makes me feel sick. I'd much rather stay up here. I would really. But in your condition, dear, I honestly think... No use, Mother. Why don't you leave her alone? It's all very fine, you being so calm and collected. But I'll tell you one thing, here and now, my nerves won't stand much more of this night after night, and that's the truth. You can go down to the shelter if you want to. Nobody's stopping you. Try as I may, I can't understand why you won't shut up the house and evacuate. I told you why I'm blue in the face. 
when you could go away somewhere quiet. Seems just plain silly to sit here and ask for you. Could go away. Where, I should like to know? Well, Dorothy for a start. She's got a spare room. Thank you for nothing. I've slept in it. It may be a bit pokey, but it's safe. Now, once and for all, Mother, will you do me a favour and shut up about this? I've told you how I feel, and that's that. This is Walter's home, see? And he expects to find me in it when he comes back on leave. What do you suppose he'd think if he turned up unexpected one day and found the house locked up and me hiding somewhere in the country? Might only have a few hours. That'd be a nice thing, wouldn't it? Well, you could let him know where we were, couldn't you? Oh, it's we now, is it? I thought there was a catch in it. So... I have a question for you, Jason. Sure. Are these the is uh, is Walter's wife um, the original anti-masker? Yeah, because it seems like there's this weird thing where it's. But I mean, I kind of understand it too, because it's almost like if I if I pretend it's just nothing more than a than a you know than an inconvenience, yeah. it it doesn't make it real. Yeah, and it's it's I think that whole scene is interesting because I think each character is dealing with it in a different way. Yeah, I mean, like, and, and I get it. It sucks to want to go down or to have to go down to a bomb shelter. I mean, I don't totally get it because I've never had to do that. But yeah, I can I can abstractly understand why that's a pain in the ass, but also, and I, I, I'm sure they could justify it to themselves by saying, oh no, this is part of our fucking, you know, we're standing up to Hitler and we're not going to let him affect our lives, you know. I, I honestly, though, the whole time, I think it's just, um, especially it, Yeah, it's, the it's wife, a form of denial that helps you deal with the situation. Yeah, it doesn't give it any weight if you don't give it that weight, you yeah. know what I mean? Because um, the mother is all for like, let's get the fuck out of here. Frida doesn't really want to go, and Walter's wife is completely against it, the idea. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, that scene tragically... And you know what? You mentioned it. We should listen to the scene right after that, too, while we're yeah. at it, because we should see listen to the scene where Shorty has to tell... Walter, yeah. that his wife and his mother-in-law have died, and that Shorty's wife yeah. gave birth. Get to see some fine displays of stiff upper lips in this scene. Oh, the stiff upper lip. Hello, Shorty. I uh, just popped along to see if you had any news from home. Not so much as a postcard, but that's Kath all over. All the years we've been married, I never known I get a post right yet. You heard from Frida? Yeah. How's she doing? She's all right. Well, what's the matter? It's Kath Waller. She and Mrs. Lemon. You see, uh, they was all in the house together and it got blitzed. What do you mean? Kath got killed. Both of them did. Frida was all right. She, uh, she was under the stairs. Oh, I see. So, uh, I thought I'd better come along and tell you. Seeing that, uh, thanks, son. I'm, I'm much obliged. I'm, I'm much obliged. I think I'll just go out on deck for a bit. Right out. I'm glad Frida's all right. Yeah, she she's fine. We uh, we got a son. I'm glad. Congratulations. That is a rough scene because yeah. you have. By the way, uh, Bernard Miles playing Walter, it, that, he steals the movie with that scene. Like yeah. his his the way he does that. You said stiff upper lip. Yeah. 
But at the same time, he immediately says, I'm going to go on deck. And yeah. you just know he's going to go out there and ball his eyes out. Um, but also, just the way he kind of accepts it, his facial features alone, and the whole scene of being like, you know, everyone you love is dead. Mm. Meanwhile, for me... I ha- I brought life into this world. It's like yeah. life is gone, life is introduced. It's such a it's such yeah. a um, tough scene. Yes, it is. Man, it's tough. It was tough to be in war. I have to imagine. I think I thought you were going to give me uh, one of your experiences. Yes, well, back in the war days, you see, I mm-hmm. was in uh, Brightonshire, yep. and I was having fish and chips. You see, mm-hmm. it was absolutely delicious. And I'd heard on the radio that the Germans had attacked London. And I felt quite sad, so I went home and I masturbated until I fell asleep. Well, uh, thank you, Jason, for your uh, combat story. You are a brave man. A hero. And I want to thank you for your service. Obliged. For nothing. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, so we have kind of three main characters here. So we mm. talked a little bit about Walter and he had, he's like the older one, I'd say, yeah. or maybe the captain is supposed to be, I don't know. Noel Coward and him seem about the same age. Yeah. Well, um, one's clearly like in, a, they're in very different positions. Yeah. Shorty is the, the younger, the youngest one. He's yeah. the, he's the seaman. Yeah. He's a non-com. Yeah. Or not even non-com. He's just a fucking, he's just a buck private or seaman or like low end. He's like, yeah. So out of those three, I know we've, we've talked about this before because we have a lot of movies where you, know, you follow different characters' journeys at the mm. same time. But out of those three, who, do you, who were you most invested in? Well, I mean, that's a tough question. I mean, I, I like them all a lot. Uh, I'd say probably Shorty just because he's like, I'm more comparable to him in class. And that if I were in the Navy, chances are I'd probably be doing his job and not uh, Kinski's job. What's his Ken name? Ross? Ken Ross. I'd probably be doing Shorty's job and not Ken Ross's job, so I feel like I can relate to Shorty a little more, but they're all interesting stories. Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, it's kind of hard to, especially between Walter and Shorty, because they have kind of, they kind of intersect yeah, a little exactly. bit. Yeah, they're, they're, exactly. They're in the same boat to yeah. some extent. They're part of the same family. <laughs> same boat! Yeah. Same ah, boat! <laughs> we have fun on this podcast. We do. We have a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Lots of fun. Mm-hmm. So much fun, you'd say. You'd say. Um, you want to, I want to talk a little bit about the screenplay okay. of this movie. Tell me about it. Noel Coward uh, wrote this screenplay. He did. And as we said, he wanted to uh, basically focus on the Navy. He mm. wanted to appease to the Navy. So um, what kind of inspired him was the sinking of the HMS Kelly on ah, May, yes. May 23rd, 1941. Um, he decided to basically use that as the basis of his script. Aha. Uh-huh. Um, and he based the character of the captain on this gentleman named Mountbatten, Lord Lewis Mountbatten, who was uh, uh, part of the royal family, uh, was a guy that uh, later in life would be known because he was assassinated by the IRA in 1979 in the Crying Game. I mean, maybe, but they, that was definitely part of that whole thing. He was uh, he was out on his yacht or something, and they killed him on the yacht and blew it up, or. Yeah, wow. and and so he had a Mountbatten had a friendship with Noel Coward, mm-hmm. which has some possibly dark implications. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, I mean, I don't know what you, 
What do you mean? Well, Mountbatten uh, was a... Uh, now, well, of course, we know no Cowart was a homosexual, mm-hmm. certainly. Uh, uh, and I don't mean that homosexuals can't be friends with other homosexuals without getting involved in their oh, weird shit. Okay. But uh, Mountbatten was a, a rumored homosexual, allegedly, uh, who was also involved with some uh, uh, elite uh, pedophile ring shit uh, of bringing in younger gentlemen, uh, boys. Oh, dear. Uh, as I understand. All allegedly, of course, but uh, those are the stories that are, have gone around. And Noel Coward may have had a mm, less than uh, just straight friends relationship with this guy at various times. It's is there, possible. I is don't there know. anything behind him being involved in those rings too? No, no, no. Not that okay. I know. That's the thing. Is what I'm saying. I don't know of any connection between Noel Coward. I don't want to think just because they're both you know uh, uh, gay that they are you know if one's a pedophile and so is the other. But like they certainly knew each other and were friends. Well, this makes my next bit of research make a lot more sense because yeah. I also read here that Mountbatten was. Uh, Agree on board to help support this project, this film. As he said, basically, as long as it's not a conspicuous biography of my own experiences. <laughs> so now that lends a lot more yeah. weight to that, Jason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> also, there's a good chance that if, if Britain had ever had a coup against uh, Queen Elizabeth, uh, that Mountbatten probably would have been the guy installed because he was pretty, pretty conservative and, and quite uh, uh, very much a fan of the old school British Empire, as it were. I mean, he was the last Viceroy of India. Perfect. Yeah. Sounds like a top-notch guy. Yep. Um, Coward also visited a naval base in Plymouth where, guess who he was dating at the time? Who? Michael Redgrave. Oh. From last week's film. What a fun, uh, what a fun, uh, couple. Yeah. So he spent the final months of 1941, uh, drafting a screenplay. Um, however, when he submitted it, the producer said, if you film this screenplay, it will take eight or nine hours. It will be an eight or nine hour long movie. And so he <laughs> said, okay, I will cut some of it down. So they said, you know, trim it to the basics, eliminate everything that's not related to the Toronord screw, because mm. there was lots of other stuff he had written into the script. Um, so, of course, he started cutting stuff, uh, and, and he... What's interesting is there's a speech in this movie where Captain Kinross addresses the survivors from the tour in Alexandria, and that's the last speech of the movie. We will play it later, because I think it's a great okay. moment. That speech is verbatim the speech that Mountbatten gave to the surviving crew of the HMS Kelly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So he did his research. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, he also had a hard time convincing the studio to let them... to let him play the main role because they said basically they said his public dressing gown and cigarette holder persona is how they put it (laughs) might make it difficult for audiences to accept him in the role of a tough navy man it's like you've never heard of acting yeah like you know neil patrick harris plays many different roles yeah (laughs) have you not seen how i met your mother have you not seen doogie hauser yeah he wasn't a fucking doctor (laughs) what but he played one oh that's acting uh (laughs) Noel Coward actually, so he finally, you know, they, he finally got the support to do it. Uh, he also, he, he did later admit in life, though, he always found his part always interesting, if not quite convincing. He never <laughs> thought he was really that convincing as a tough guy. Uh, he also needed to convince the censors that the sinking of the ship was a crucial scene and not the threat to public morale they perceived it to be. Yeah, so apparently he, there were a few people in the Navy that, that der- derogatorily nicknamed this movie in which we sink. Because they didn't like the fact that there was a, uh, a ship sinking in the movie. But overall, most of the yes. Navy did like overall, this movie. most of the people did like it because they probably saw it as a much more realistic reflection of what they were going through. So I'm sure you're wondering where David Lean comes into all this. 
Well, he was a film editor at the time, was he not? This he, was his first movie. He was a film editor. Um, the most famous thing he worked on was Pygmalion from 1938. Oh, yes. Uh, but Coward, basically, he had experience directing plays, but he, when it came to movies, he knew what to do with actors, yeah. but he had no idea what to do with the action. Yeah. So he, he, you know, he seeked out someone to do that for him, and he found David Lean. And he said, will you handle the action, and I will handle the acting. And that's how they kind of split up the duties. Um, which you can kind of tell, because the acting is... Very, I feel like very stage play esque. Yeah. Good, like not, yeah. not saying it's bad, but it feels very. It has that like, vibe to it for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and they actually collaborated on a few movies after this as well. Yeah, brief okay. encounter. Yeah, brief encounter. Them. Yeah. Um, one little story from the set that I think is funny. Uh, during the filming, they have this. They have this small character. It's like Blake's brother-in-law, like Shorty's brother-in-law, yeah. and it was yeah. actually recast. So. The original actor to play that role was William Hartnell, who you may know as the first Doctor Who. Oh, interesting. Um, and he's he's been in some carry-on films. He turned up late for his first day of shooting, <laughs> and Noel Coward berated him in front of everyone for his unprofessionalism, and then made him personally apologize one by one to every single person on the set, and then fired him. Wow. <laughs> so he does, so Noel Coward himself doesn't have quite the same compassion that the captain does. No. No. <laughs> no. Um, and he and he replaced him with the uh, first assistant director. Wow. <laughs> um. Yeah, and I mean, eventually this movie received the full backing of the Ministry of Information, so it turned out well for him. Well, I would hope so, because he was, I think, still working for the propaganda department at that point, and this is what the, you know, this movie was a production of that, so you kind of needed their approval. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about the captain. Let's talk about the captain. The main role, Noel Coward. Um, I would argue a little outside the norm. Yes. Like, he he does things, I mean, we hear in his speech, uh, which you'll hear in a second here, um, that his way of doing things is very different. Hmm. Let's, let's listen to that and then discuss it as two gentlemen. Make yourselves comfortable. We're all pretty tired. There are one or two things I want to say to you. First, first I want to tell you that I'll hold a short memorial service next Sunday for our 36 shipmates who lost their lives and return thanks that the old ship herself came safely through with so many of her complement. I expect that Hitler is even now conferring the Iron Cross on the man who claims to have sunk us. Secondly, I want to tell you that you all did pretty well in the trying time we've been through. When a torpedo hits so small a ship as a destroyer, the result is bound to be fairly devastating, if not fatal. And I can understand the tremendous temptation to think of your own skin first and of the ship and your shipmate second. I suppose, in a way, it's gratifying to feel that out of a ship's company of 244 men, 243 have behaved as I hoped and expected they would. One man, however, did not. That man has been brought before me, charged with leaving his post without permission. I needn't tell you how serious an offence of this nature is in time of war, nor how drastic is the punishment that normally follows. You will be surprised, therefore, to learn that I have let him off with a caution. Or perhaps I should say with two cautions. One to him, and one to me. For in a way, I feel that what happened was my fault. This man has only been in the Navy for six months. He has only been in this ship for two months. Even so, I feel that in that time I should have been able to make it clear to him that I did not expect and would not tolerate such behavior. 
So yeah, he basically this guy, this young Stoker, played by Richard Attenborough, is uh, is a guy. He he leaves his post. He has a moment. It's almost like he has a moment of PTSD, well, shell shock, for shell sure. shock. Yeah. yeah, and this might maybe might be one of the earliest movies to feature that. Well, to actually, and and portrayed in a way that, I mean, yeah, he's leaving his post and everything, but they don't make him necessarily look like a crazy person. And and the captain clearly understands that he's not a crazy person he's a guy that's new to the navy he's been drafted in maybe not a guy who would have joined up in the navy in peacetime and he's willing to give him a second chance but but that also allows him to have a teachable moment to the rest of the crew to say if you do this next time now that it's clearly made to you there will be consequences we need everybody to do their part or this doesn't work right and he even says i completely understand why someone would do this yes like, it's not just like, a, oh, I'll be on your best behavior, fall in line, hurt. He's not like General Patton walking around slapping guys in tents because they've got shell shock. He's, you know, he's understanding. And that's kind of what I find about that character is that he's portrayed as a very fatherly type of captain. Mm-hmm. He He's not an angry guy. He's not a yeller. He's very posh, and but fatherly. And I think this crew likes him for that. You know, he expects a lot of his crew, but he also, you know, treats them with respect. And he's got charisma. Yeah, he definitely has and, charisma. And he's got, a, like, a quiet a quiet kind of charisma. Mm. Um, and right away, like, again, we have to mention this movie because we just talked about it last yeah. week. But I feel like the characters in this movie has so much more life in yeah. them. Like, I can barely remember any characters from the Dam Busters outside of the main guy. Yeah. Whereas they're much more clear in this movie. They are much more clear, and they have, like, fuller you know, backgrounds and we have, you know, characters at home. Like we said, there's a much, it feels richer. Mm. It feels like the ambusters. I know it's supposed to be focused on one thing, but I feel like it was too focused almost. Whereas this is like a nice raid. The raid at the end of the movie blows everything else out of the water that's happening in the movie. And it all feels like useless, uh, uh, jerk off, you know, before you get to the, the money shot. Right, it's all the buildup. When the raid well, happens... I guess what I'm saying is that when I orgasm, I do it instantly, without <laughs> any buildup. Well, no, no, I mean, I get it. The, the raid is like 20 minutes long, you, yeah. you know. Yeah. But the buildup <laughs> build is good, and then when the raid happens, that's when the two ladies start making out with the b- yeah. pizza delivery Ooh, guy. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I like that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'll lend it to you one day. All right. What about the special effects in this movie? Because you kind of mentioned that for a bit. There yeah, are some models. There are some models and stuff, and it all looks pretty consistent. The one thing, the one shot that I was wondering about was there's kind of a, at one point we see a three-quarter, kind of a three-quarter shot of the ship in port, and it like it's like a high-up shot, and it zooms in. And it's a really cool shot for that era, because you don't usually see that kind of shot done. But I wasn't sure whether it was a real ship or it was a model. Whatever it was, the water looked right. Mm. Like the water didn't look like it was water being used in a model shot. Like the water was the proper size and the waves were the proper size. So I don't know what they did, but it looked great. If it was a composite, it was very well done. And I mean, even when we have like, you know, the the, the main a through line of the movie is them clinging to a raft after yeah. their boat has been blown up. Um, that stuff looks genuine too. It's good like, too. Yeah. And they're getting constantly strafed by uh, ju 88s and i kind of I, I would like to look into this because i want to know how common that was uh i i because i want to assume I, I guess the the anti-german inside me uh from world war ii wants to assume that the germans did that and we didn't but 
I'd like to know how often that actually happened because that seems like a real fucking cruel thing to do to fucking strafe a bunch of dudes that are stranded in the ocean. I feel like it had to happen sometime. Yeah, no, and I've heard stories of German sub crews doing that, of like pulling up after they sunk a ship and just machine gunning people from the deck of the sub. And it's a really, it's a really terrifying mm. situation in this movie. It's And it's tense the entire time because you yeah. don't know who's going to get shot. You don't know when they're coming back. and for, Or if they're coming back at all. Or if they're coming back at all. And you have all these scenes of them just like bracing themselves and you don't know what's going to happen, right? And that tension doesn't end when they get rescued because nope. they get rescued, but then immediately as they're on the ship, there's another attack and they're in the hold, you know, away from what's going on, but they're still hearing all the explosions and there's a chance they could get sunk again. Like, now, all they all they can do is hide below, yeah. hide below deck. And that's also what happens in another scene when we actually see, st- we actually um, focus a little bit on Dunkirk, mm. right? Yes. Maybe. And it actually reminded me of the movie Dunkirk. Yeah. And, and I actually think... Christopher Nolan took some stuff from this because yes. it looks like just the scenes where they're below deck and everybody's kind of shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. That looks very much, very similar to some shots in Dunkirk. And what you have to remember is that in 1942, Dunkirk by this point would have been one of the most major events in the British Army's war so far because it was the final. It was them evacuating Europe because they couldn't stop the the German war machine. They had to get out. Well, and we had and we had the Navy um, bringing the the troops. Yeah, the troops. The BEF, the British Expeditionary Force. Yeah, bringing them to the shore for, for, for Dunkirk. And we, of course, we all know what happens well, there. Bringing them, yeah, bringing them from Dunkirk back to England. And, yeah. and that was one of the scenes that really stood out to me. Like, And it was the contrast of it. It's all these dejected soldiers coming off the boat. And like, props to all the extras in this scene because they all looked like they just horrified. They look like they've seen some shit, which is exactly what you want from somebody that was just evacuated because they lost a battle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then so they all they get off the ships. They all line up. They all eyes, you know, they all tur- turn left and they start marching away. And this jaunty patriotic music starts playing. And all these guys are marching away, just looking like thousand yard stairs, hollow people as this jaunty music plays. And it's just such a weird contrast of, of the thing. It's making a weird comment that, again, wouldn't necessarily expect in a, um, in a, in a propaganda movie. Especially, like, again, especially one that, that was made in the middle of the fucking war. Yeah. Right, like the other thing, uh, the other contrast in that scene that really got me too was when we have uh, the people that are above deck uh, talking about like the drink that they're having, like the cocoa, and they're like, "Oh, what do you put in your cocoa? Oh, it's just brandy. Oh, I gotta get that recipe." Like they're basically just having a casual conversation, and then suddenly, you know, "Oh, get down!" Yeah. A bomb goes off, and they're like, "So just brandy, huh?" Like yeah. it's very, it's 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 scary. It's like it is scary, but it, and it's also a re- reflection of how banal things can become when you're a part of it long yeah. enough. We see that somewhat in Hope and Glory. We see that in the home front in this movie where it's just like, oh, there's bombs coming down, whatever. And we see it there where it's like you have to muddle on. It's so much a part of the British uh, attitude at this time and, and even overall of like, you know, the keep calm and carry on idea of just like... Up you the gotta, Kyber. You got you to get through it. You got to do what yeah. you got to do. And that's what everybody does. You have to find some sense of normalcy, but it, but it eventually just becomes old. And it's like, okay, well, more bombings, babe. All these bombings, babe. I just oh, got to no. stand here like I'm Kaiser Wilhelm in 1919 in the palace at uh, Berlin, babe. That's not even a thing that happened. <laughs> no, but Dennis is wrong most Alternate of the time. history reference Dennis Miller. There we go. <laughs> yeah, so I mean, and, and that's also like, I think also lends to a big misconception of stiff upper lip. Mm. Um, is that people think like when a lot of times you say, oh, the British had a stiff upper lip, you know, oh, they didn't really show emotion. A lot of people get the misconception that like, oh, they just were basically they didn't have any emotion. They're just culturally devoid. And it's like, no, that's not what's happening. They're it's, not they're, Vulcans, people. <laughs> they're pushing them so deep down yeah. so that, you know, 
they don't show any weakness in front of the boys. Yes, absolutely. And and it's not and it's not even like that. Like as like a manly thing. Like oh, I can't be weak. I got I gotta not wear a mask because I can't be weak. No, no, it's, it's, it's a question of morale. Yeah, exactly. If you if you're you know if your guy in command is breaking down and losing his shit, yeah, that's gonna send shockwaves exactly. through everyone. It's the the, the he- heavy hangs the head that wears the crown. Cause exactly. They gotta fucking keep everybody going. And that's again why Walter excuses himself early yep. uh, in that earlier clip. Yeah, because he's not going to sit there and just ball in front of his subordinates. You know that's not a good look. Mm-hmm. Regardless of whether we in 2020 can look at that and say no, that's totally understandable for a man who just lost his whole fucking family. And even back then, I'm sure those boys would understand. But it still would be a thing that might Im- impugn how they see him as a commanding uh, figure. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah politics man and emotions that's what it's all about all emotions baby Baby. (laughs) you know i do want to um maybe we'll just play this one more clip before we get into some bits and or bobs um because i know we talked about celia johnson already Mm -hmm. there there is one moment in this movie with celia johnson i want to play and it's her speech um it's her little toast to um just the, I don't even think we find it. Was it at Christmas? Flags and Maureen, I think, with their names. We don't really get a whole lot on them. Yeah, it was at Christmas. And she um, she's told to give her speech. And there is a lot going on in this speech. <laughs> just going to say that. So let's listen to it. Uh, and uh, just look, take a listen and see how her tone changes kind of throughout. Listen in if you like. Come on now, silence everybody. Her Worship the Lady Mary is about to declare the bazaar open. Don't let it get you down, Alex. Ladies and gentlemen. I'll begin by taking my husband's advice Ray. and wishing you all a very happy Christmas. I'm sure Elizabeth and June will back me up when I say I'm going to deliver, on behalf of all wretched naval wives, a word of warning to Maureen, who's been unwise enough to decide to join our ranks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Dear Maureen, we all wish you every possible happiness. But I think it only fair to tell you in advance exactly what you're in for. Shame, shame. Speaking from bitter experience, I can only say that the wife of a sailor is most profoundly to be pitied. Begin with her home life, what there is of it. Has no stability whatever. She can never really settle down. She moves through a succession of other people's houses, flats and furnished rooms. She finds herself having to grapple with domestic problems in Bermuda, Malta or Weymouth. We will not deal with the question of pay. That is altogether too painful. <laughs> what we will deal with is the most important disillusionment of all. And that is... Stop her, somebody. This is rank mutiny. <laughs> and that is that wherever she goes, there is always in her life a permanent and undefeated rival, her husband's ship. Whether it be a battleship or a sloop, a submarine or a destroyer, it holds first place in his heart. It comes before wife, home, children, everything. Some of us try to fight this and get badly mauled in the process. Others, like myself, resign themselves to the inevitable. That is what you will have to do, my poor Marine. That is what we all have to do if we want any peace of mind at all. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you my rival. It's extraordinary that anyone could be so fond and so proud of their most implacable enemy. This ship. God bless this ship and all who sail in her. I think that's the closest this movie gets to criticism of any kind of aspect of the Navy. Yeah. 
because she plainly says in that scene, you know, this is the life you're in for. Yeah. You're not going to be his first priority. The job is going to be priority number one. You're second no matter what you do. And she's even saying like here, tragically, mm. I've kind of just resigned to that. Mm. Like I've kind of just accepted that. And I love the ship because I love what he's doing, obviously. I believe in what he's doing. But it's also my biggest, you know, yeah. rival of affection. Absolutely. It's just an incredible, like, she nails this scene. Yeah. So good. So good, Celia Johnson. There's a reason why David Lean brought her back for Brief Encounter, I suppose. I thought you were going to say David Lynch for some reason. <laughs> yeah. I wish she, David Lynch. She was in Mulholland Drive. Uh, uh, David Lynch, I think, would have been quite young when she was still alive, so. I don't even know if David Lynch. <laughs> no, David Lynch was not alive, I don't believe. I mean, I don't think she died until the 70s. Oh, when so. she died, sorry. I thought you meant when she was acting. Bits and bobs. Brendan wants a little bit of Jason's bits and bobs. I'm going to chime in with my bits and bobs as well. This, like, is the, this is the story of a ship. Ship. Ship sunk in the ocean. The jello pudding pops. Oh, no, no, no. Hey, Get him out of here. Oh, I'm getting his Jason, why did you Skype in the prison? <laughs> <laughs> uh, he's been taken away. Don't worry. He's not dead yet. He has to go back to prison. Wow, how did he get here? I don't know. I'm not going to ask those questions. So bits and bobs, Brendan. First off, fun logo effect. I, at the beginning of the movie, they had the uh, the production logo effect. It was clearly painted on a piece of rounded glass. It looked real nice. Shoot when you see the whites of their eyes. That's right. That was a good line. I like that. The callback to the American Revolution, of course, mm-hmm. uh, but a fine line. Uh, I, we see a little bit of hot riveting right at the beginning, which is cool because I hadn't seen it done like that before, but where they've got the rivets in like a hot fire and they pull them out and just hammer them while they're still hot. That's pretty cool. Well, yeah, don't we see, like, I mean, we're, we're told that uh, this is a three-month job to build this boat, and they have to do it in, what, three days? Uh, no, it was, a, it was a three-month job to shake down the boat and get it ready. and then They, they have to do that in three, three days, days. Yeah, which is still a crazy Yeah, I mean, and, and this was the, what was the nature of the time, because they were just churning out ships, right? They had to get them pumped out, and so these destroyers were getting made. They had to shake them down fast and get them out on the ocean. I do also like too when they when we're actually seeing the combat is that it's not cl- it's not clean like a lot of these no. movies. You actually see them have like scuffed up faces. You see yep. bloody noses. Yep. Um, it's not. It doesn't look like that old classy kind of war picture. You, you know also I mean? generally see the battle from their perspective. You don't see. Yeah. There's not like big overall shots of what's going on. You see the ships in the distance, and yeah, they're models, but they're good looking models. And yeah, yeah. you don't see like German uh, stereotypes being like. Oh, yeah. oh, Scheisse. Yeah, we never see a German person saying anything. Yeah. Uh, I do. I did laugh when they referred to this. Is that the Germans or the Italians? And he's like, oh, the macaronis wouldn't be out here. <laughs> the macaronis. It's good, good slur for the Italians. <laughs> Wait, um, why were they worried about Italians? Oh. Because the Italians were allied with the Germans, and oh. they could easily be out there, too. Oh, I guess Mussolini. Yeah, I forgot Axis about that. power. Yeah. Um, see, it's hard for me to see that now, because I think of Italy. It's just this nice little country. It's Italy. The battle itself came across as rather calm and bloodless, which is, again, context of the time and how they shot those movies. But I think that's also maybe a little more realistic than we would give it credit for, because, like, even though horrors are going on, not everybody's running around with their heads cut off. These are guys that are trained to do this job, and they, you know, could generally stay in the zone and, and deal with what's coming at them until is, until they get hit anyways. I mean, this is not the opening scene of Saving Private no, Ryan. exactly. <laughs> exactly. This is not Vin Diesel uh, with notes in his pocket, you know what I mean? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, they referred to the first officer of the ship as number one, made me, the Star Trek fan, uh, very happy. Okay. Uh, that they continue that tradition in Star Trek and that that's from the British Navy. There is some very impressive underwater photography. What I didn't... Oh. Is there? 
when they're underwater. Oh yeah, yeah. That that I think that looks really. I, I was surprised that that was a thing in that time in 1942. Yes. Uh, we I have a nomination for the most British family in uh, the captain's family. They're so so super British, and the kids talk very fast, mm. very fast, very uh, very. Um, oh my God, what's that movie where they're like? They work at a newspaper, and he's like, I'll tell ya. Oh, his girl Friday. Yeah, okay. It's, it sounds like that to me, but British. Rapid-fire British dialogue. Yeah. And at some point, they, they say that they got to have a drink to go hang out with the kids. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's how you did it in the 40s. You want to deal with your kids, you get drunk. I mean, yeah. I'm sure there's a Jason, I'm sure there's a lot of people right now that would agree with that sentiment. Absolutely. <laughs> when we meet the mother-in-law at one point, um, he's leaving. Uh, Walter is leaving. And the mother-in-law asks, well, when are you going to be back? And he says, well, that all depends on Hitler. And she says, well, who does he think he is anyways? And he says, ah, that's the spirit. <laughs> yeah. Which made me laugh. It's like, yep, that's right, old girl. That's and it's another, it's another example of like how they deal with this shit. Yeah. Um, with humor a lot of times. And, and also, uh, it's, it's kind of a dark foreshadowing because mm. his mother says something about a lamp. Uh, she doesn't want to, I don't want to blow up while I'm trying to use this lamp upstairs. Yeah. And that's kind of what happens later. Yeah. yeah um, sorry. sorry and let, let me get the, the, let me correct myself. A three week bill, uh, job on the ship. Three, three week days. job. They need to do it in three days, not three because, months because he says that they have to do it in three days and then we'll mm-hmm. send Hitler a telegram and say, you can start your war. The Torrens ready. <laughs> right. Such a great. They British... say Hitler's name a lot, and every time they said it, I was like, "Holy shit, he was still alive at the time." Yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> um, and they get the Declaration of War, which they hear Churchill reading over it. And, and in the course of Churchill's Is speech, it Chamberlain, I think it's Neville Chamberlain reading it. No, that was Churchill. The speech? I'm pretty sure. No, they specifically say, "Here's Neville Chamberlain." Did they? We want to listen to it. Well, Shall he says, we? You can imagine what a personal blow it's been to me. Oh, sure, let's play let's, it. let's play it. I must be dumb because I swore that was Churchill. You'd think I'd know Winston Churchill's fucking voice. Here is an announcement. At 11.15, that is, in about two minutes, the Prime Minister will broadcast to the nation. Please stand by. I am speaking to you from the Cabinet Room at 10 Downing Street. This morning, the British Ambassador in Berlin handed the German government a final note stating that unless we heard from them by 11 o'clock that they were prepared at once to withdraw their troops from Poland, a state of war would exist between us. I have to tell you now that no such undertaking has been received and that consequently this country is at war with Germany. You can imagine what a bitter blow it is to me. Well, that's exactly a bank holiday for us. Well, that's what I was going to mention anyways, was that you think it's a bank holiday for us. Full but, shot at him. But yes, no, absolutely. I don't know why I thought that was Churchill. Listening back to it, the, the tenor of the voice, yeah, that did not have the energy of Winston Churchill. That was definitely Neville Chamberlain. But I, I think it was interesting that they did take a little shot at him. Yeah, exactly. Because that's his real speech. Yeah, but by that point, Churchill was prime minister of the country, and Churchill had shown that he was a much more forceful uh, presence as prime mm-hmm. minister than Chamberlain ever was. I, I do also, and again, again, every time Hitler's name is mentioned, I just can't stress this enough. 
World War Two is currently happening. Yeah, it just—it's crazy to me. They even go to a theater at one point and see, a movie theater and see footage of uh, Hitler in like a little newsreel thing. Mm-hmm. And like you know, when I saw that in Hope and Glory, I'm like, oh, whatever, yeah. you know. But this is like <laughs> he's still it's alive. Like, oh, he's still alive. He's still <laughs> fucking menacing uh, Europe. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, then we had a, a, there were some nice shots in this movie because it's David Lean. He does some cool camera work. We have a nice shot, uh, transition shot from the sailors uh, singing uh, a song to a bunch of kids on the street, a bunch of ragamuffins singing that same song. Old King Wisdom looked down on the feast of Zeven. And before that, they sing like that other song that's, uh, you know, the popular military song. I forget the name of it. You know what I'm talking about, though. The Battle Hymn of the Republic. Nope. No. Fighting soldier in Vietnam. That's the one. But yes, there were some lovely Christmas scenes in this movie. Some wonderfully nostalgic 40s Christmas scenes. Because they got the the joy of being in port when the, uh, when, uh, well, when when the holiday Christmas happened. So fuck the Die Hard debate. That's right. In which we serve as a Christmas movie. It's a Christmas movie, baby. Damn German strafing sailors I wrote because that's mean. Uh, of course, we have a horny sailor because it wouldn't be a movie without a horny sailor. You in, should, you in should, shorty. You should mention strafing sailors means the German while they're holding, clinging to the raft after their ship has been sunk. That's the Germans coming back over and shooting yeah, at them. The, the JU-88s are flying over and opening up with their machine guns, hoping to kill a bunch of sailors who are just clinging to life on yep. the life raft. Yep. Thanks, guys, you dickheads. Uh, there was a cool reflection shot in the camera lens when they were getting their pictures taken, where you could see everybody. That was neat. I like that. Uh, by the way, Noel Coward, I wrote, looks like a young Pete Postlewaite in my mind. I could see that. In this movie, for sure. He's not nearly as lower class, but, you know. And he's a very fatherly captain, uh, and he's because uh, he, he sees Sto- uh, Shorty on the train and has a nice moment with him where he's like, oh, this is your wife, very nice to meet you, introduces him to his wife. And then they sit down on the train and they have what they describe as railway fish, which made me laugh. Did you, did you, get, did you guys? There's all one, of us? All of you in the studio. <laughs> You guys don't know, but when Jason and I record, we actually have an audience. We tell them to be very quiet, though. I came back, you see. Oh, Alec Guinness, hey, you're watching us. I yes, I wanted to see your program in action rather than just at the beginning. And it's quite it's quite terrible, so I'm going to leave now. Goodbye. Oh. Alec Guinness, that hurt. Took his rocket ship again. Oh. There was, um, there was like an old-fashioned fart joke in this movie. Oh, was there? Because there's a bit where they, they sit... The, the captain is coming down or somebody else is coming down and someone says like, oh, what a what a lovely little excursion you had at dinner this evening. And he says like, oh, I can't. Have, and it's a fart joke. It's about yeah. how he broke wind and they're all like uh, mocking him for it. And I'm like, if this was made now, you'd see that scene. He would just, yeah, exactly. It would literally, he would just get let, let out the biggest fart and there would be like a, a fucking line of shit on the wall behind him. Yeah. Because it was a and shart. And Bob Saget would come out and be like, oh, there's, there's shit. shit. There's shit all over the walls. And then you'd hear, oh, I feel good. Shelly Long is. <laughs> but back to this movie. I like that the posh officers on this ship had their own club. Because, of course, officers got to have a club. Mm-hmm. So they hang out and play cards and be posh. What One of the sequences that I thought was really neat in this movie was we see a shell coming from the bottom of the ship where it's stored all the way through the process of being handed up and then loaded into the gun and fired, which I thought was really cool. Again, showing that stuff that, that sailors could look at and go, okay, yeah, that, that basically is it. Yeah, that's what we do. Yeah, I think he really strived to get a lot of the technical stuff right, and I think that's why... On Wikipedia, there is no historical accuracy section. 
Yeah, this is the best sort of propaganda in my mind. <laughs> yeah. I wrote this down. It's a good story that looks great, but doesn't exactly showcase the horrors of war, but gets across kind of some of the technicalities of it to give you an idea of what it's like without maybe full-on dissuading you from joining because you're watching a guy getting his head blown apart by a shell. Yeah, and I think another scene that really got me too, another really emotional scene, um, was after... Because like the main thing is them clinging to life on the raft. They eventually get rescued. Yeah. Like you said, they're still below deck and still you know in danger. But when they're below deck after that, um, the captain is going around getting addresses from all the soldiers that are dying. Yeah. Like all the Navy men that are dying. And one of them is the young Stoker. And even and so he has a nice little redemption arc where he says like you know I'll tell your folks you died you died brave and doing your best which he did he redeems himself um, but just that the scene where he's just like like shuffling around getting yeah. addresses from these dying so it's rough it is rough it is rough but of course the cynic in me was like uh, stop asking for their addresses you keep killing them. It's like they give them the address and then they're happy and then they die. It's like, no, don't take their address. Keep them alive. (laughs) They can fight again. The first guy does die right away as soon as he gives (laughs) it. I mean, that's such a movie thing. But by the way, this this is the second, uh, much like last week's movie, this movie also referenced Nelson. Mm. Well, Nelson is such a major figure in British history. I mean, and he's such an interesting character. And and cartoon history. Yeah, absolutely. Ha ha, he used to say. Ha ha. Are you thinking of Lord Ha Ha from... Propaganda. I'm talking about the II. Simpsons, goddammit. Oh, that Nelson. Jesus. Oh, me of all people, too. I should right? get your Simpsons reference right Oh, hey. Jason, you're fired. Fuck you. You're fired until... See, n- I was confused, Brendan, because we're talking about World War II, no. and there was a guy named Lord Haha who was a British dude who disseminated German propaganda to British people. Yeah, because that's who I would be talking about, Yeah, absolutely. Jason. Listen, you're fired until next week. Well, I'm fired for thinking you're too smart. Until next week, you're fired. God damn it. And from the end of this episode until the beginning so of next week. So what you mean is episode. I'm not getting paid for the rest of this episode? That is correct. Shit. I'm not going to be able to make rent. <laughs> God yeah. damn it. Yeah, because that's how much we make from this <laughs> podcast. Um, oh, at one point, he takes his, uh, he's back on shore, the captain, and he takes his family out for a picnic, and they get to watch an aerial battle. I thought that was really weird, but it was training, I guess. Was uh, it? I think so, because they, they said something about it coming out to watch a training thing. I don't know, because she also says, like, is it terrible that I'm th- that when I look at that stuff, I'm thankful that I'm on the ground? No, I don't think that's crazy, regardless of whether it's training or not, because she just doesn't want to be up on a plane. Because I don't know. I thought that was her referring to, like... As I pointed out in the last movie, pilots lived very well because they were not expected to live long. Yeah. Either war. So, and... Uh, Next bit. So right before the the ladies get bombed in the house, they say the line, uh, well, the I think the middle lady, the uh, the wife Walter's wife, Walter's yeah. wife, yeah, says, no use in making a fuss, is there? Which is science, just to me sums up the British attitude and then is immediately counterpointed by the house being bombed. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and um, I do, actually, I'll wait. If you have any more bits and bobs, then I do want to play one last uh, clip here. Uh, not much else. Uh, just that heart-wrenching scene with Walter and Shorty. Shorty. And uh, is that his name, Shorty? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The heart-wrenching scene with Walter and Shorty. They finally get rescued, but it's not a full rescue because they're on the ship and they got to worry about uh, uh, bombs. And we have that good line where he says, um, they say, oh, you made it, Captain. And he's like, oh, nothing like a good swim before breakfast. Like that Again, that stiff upper lip, keeping everybody's attitudes up. He also has that reoccurring bit where he's like, you better tell so-and-so he's not got my position yet. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, and then he gives a lovely speech at the end of the movie, which I believe you have on hand. I do, and I would like to play that speech that he gives just as he's uh, leaving. I've come to say goodbye to the few of you who are left. 
We've had so many talks, and this is our last. I've always tried to crack a joke or two before, and you've all been friendly and laughed at them. But today, I'm afraid I've run out of jokes. I don't suppose any of us feels much like laughing. The Torin has been in one scrap after another, but even when we had men killed, the majority survived and brought the old ship back. Now she lies in 1,500 fathoms, and with her, more than half our shipmates. If they had to die, what a grand way to go. And now they lie all together with the ship we loved. And they're in very good company. We've lost her, but they're still with her. There may be less than half the Torin left, but I feel that we'll all take up the battle with even stronger heart. Each of us knows twice as much about fighting, and each of us has twice as good a reason to fight. You will all be sent to replace men who have been killed in other ships. And the next time you're in action, remember the Torin. It's a big speech. Yeah. It's a great speech. And then the, the, the movie makes the painstaking choice, and I mean a good choice, yeah. of having him, he's thanking every single individual person that survived, and yeah. the camera stays with it until he's done. Yeah. He goes through like 30, 40 people. Yep. Yeah. Shakes every one of those hands. And yeah, you would expect that after what they've been through. And then the narration at the very end uh, ties back into that patriotism in a big, big way. Yeah. By saying, like, basically, you know, we continue to fight to this day, and here ends the story of a ship. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and the implication was, let's finish this fight, fellas. Yeah. Yeah. Again, unlike the Dam Busters, they don't have the comfort of watching this. Like, can you imagine, like, okay, just imagine you're in the middle of World War II, yeah. and you're watching a movie like this. Yeah. you got to have some... You gotta be fucking agitated as shit just watching this. Yeah, absolutely, and or or just amazed and saddened, but but thrilled, and yeah, it's it's crazy. It's it's something we've never been through in the same way. Like no. certainly, our country has been involved in conflicts and stuff, but it's never been to the level of this, and and certainly not on the same level as World War Two. But it'd be like if someone made a movie about COVID nineteen, like right now. Yeah. You know what I mean? They absolutely are. There's somebody that's making a fucking Zoom movie about COVID-19. Oh, no. I've seen that Zoom movie. It's called (laughs) Host. It's on Shudder, and it's fantastic. It's actually good. It's not... Well, I shouldn't say it's about Mm COVID-19, but there's definitely plot elements that it takes place during the lockdown because that only adds to the, you know, enclosed feeling that movie has. No, it's really good. It's 56 minutes long. Wow. Perfect. Yeah. It's Shudder original. And it's great, and I recommend it to everyone. Check it out. Use code for Screen and Country for nothing. Yeah, you use that code, you get 0% off. That's right. That's the kind of service we offer here. You know what? I will, I will give you this. Uh, I'll speak to the to the Shutter guy. Just give me your IP addresses, and as soon as you sign up, you get a free seven-day trial. That's right. That's on us, baby. That's on us. We just need your credit card number and your social security no, number. No, 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 even do that. Jason, you already get a seven-day free trial. Just don't tell them. Okay, I won't tell them. Okay. Yes, do that. Do it. Um, okay, well, if that's all the bits and bobs, then yep. I will move on. Uh, we'll talk about how this movie... We can't talk about the BAFTAs, Jason, because the BAFTAs are not a thing yet. No, and also, they're busy with the war. Yeah. Well, yeah. Uh, but it does go to the Oscars, because the Americans weren't entering the war Is it the, the 1943 yet. Oscars? Yes. 
Was that the year that uh, I wonder if uh, Der, Der Fuhrer's face won for best animated uh, short? I do not know. Wenn der Fuhrer says, wie ist der Messer ist, wie heil, wie heil, right in der Fuhrer's face. It was a real coup for Disney. Well, the SEO for this is going to be shitty. <laughs> Um, this was <laughs> Disney. What the fuck? Yeah, it was Disney. It was a, it was a, Jeffrey's face was a Donald Duck cartoon. It's really funny. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it does go to the Oscars. It is nominated for two awards, but does not win. Do you want to take a guess? Uh, best writing and best score. Best original screenplay. It is yeah. nominated. It is won that year by uh, a film that, I mean, I mean, arose by no other, uh, by any other name would be still just as sweet. Uh, Princess O'Rourke. Oh, of course, yeah, yeah. That, that movie. Yeah, it's about the Irish princess, I imagine. Exactly. Yeah, and it is nominated. The other one no, uh, is actually nominated for best picture. Oh wow! Um, the winner that year was Casablanca. Well, I mean, how can you not? That's right? one of them. What's yeah. one of those best picture winners that you got to say? Like, okay, I no, get it. they got that one right. I like in which we serve, but Casablanca is yeah. Casablanca. They got that one right. It does win kind of a special Oscar though. Mm. It wins. Uh, they give it an honorary certificate of merit. Is that like a, uh, a participation participation award? Maybe the nineteen forty two participation award. It feels like it feels like I don't know. I don't know what I'm. I'm not one hundred percent sure. If, actually, I wonder if it's like it's the award for like we really like this movie, but we don't have another category for it, so we'll give it this. I think it's like in the spirit of it being kind of propaganda esque. Yeah. Um, it's them being like, no, no, this is a great film. Trying it's very to get positive more, more people to watch it, maybe. Yeah. While the Americans are like, yeah, we're coming, guys. Just wait for us. Well, no, but by 1942, 1943, they were in the war. Were they? Okay. Yeah, yeah. It was 1941, the, uh, December of 41, that Pearl Harbor was All attacked. right, Yanks. I'll, let you, off with a, I'll yeah. let you off the hook with this one. You better. But anyway, so this movie was the second most popular movie at the British box office in 1943. And no, I don't know what the first one was. Uh, Bosley Crother of the New York Times, who we talked about a few times, observed... There have been other pictures which have vividly and movingly conveyed in terms of human emotion the cruel realities of this present war. None has done, none has yet done it so sharply and so truly as in which we serve. For the great thing which Mr. Coward has accomplished in this film is a full and complete expression of national fortitude. Yes, this is truly a picture in which the British may take a wholesome pride and we may regard as an excellent expression of British strength. This Damn. is coming from a New York Times review. So he gets it. He gets it. It, it crosses. It crosses the water. That's right. Um, the budget for this movie, 240,000 pounds. Not very much. 1942, though. Yeah. That's a big budget. I'll do the trick. Um, I don't think this is right because it says it's the second most popular movie, and I have it that it made 300,000 pounds in the Commonwealth, which I don't think is – I don't know if that's correct. Well, it, it also may have been a hard year to go to movies because of the war. Wow, another – Fucking comparison point. <laughs> uh, box office in the U.S. though for U.S. rentals it makes two million dollars. Damn, yeah. it's all right then. Oh yeah, so it's a it's a big movie, gets a lot of buzz, some Oscars, some gratitude for Noel Coward. Good job. But you know what? Who fuck cares? What matters is did we like it? I did. I did like it. I did like it. I I, it, I think it's a better movie than last week's movie, The Dam Busters. Uh, I don't know why it's rated lower than The Dam Busters. I don't know why it's list. 92. I mean, I, I give The Dam Busters as very influential, especially as far as Star Wars goes, and, and thus as influential in just about every blockbuster that's ever been made. But I think this is a better movie. The characters are more interesting. Uh, the battles are good. I mean, none of the battles in this movie compare to the end scene of The Dam Busters, but... No. 
uh, still, I think this is definitely the better movie of well, the two. You also said, like, before we were, we were recording, you said it's more consistent. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's more like, consistent. No no scene matches that final scene of the Dan Busters, but, no, but nothing is as boring as some no. of the earlier stuff in the like, Dan Busters. I, I think I was right in my comparison, and I, I think in the episode I said that it reminded me of Pearl Harbor, where it was all this bullshit up until a really cool attack sequence. I, st- I think, I well, yes, I think the Dan Busters is better than Pearl Harbor. I would agree, but- for sure, but it's kind of in that mold. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But uh, this, yeah, this is a much better movie with much better characters, and it's cool seeing Noel Coward on screen. And yeah. and we'll see him this, again. Yeah, exactly. Um, so check it out. I mean, not in the mo- in the modern times, but yeah. we have another movie well, where we'll see. Died him. in the seventies, so he's in the Italian Job, which is also on this list. Yeah, which was the movie I believe he retired. Uh, yes, the Mark Wahlberg uh, version. Yeah, I believe he retired. He was having memory problems, so oh, that was his dear. last movie. Yeah. So uh, what did you think, Brendan? I really liked it. Yeah. Um, I think it was. Uh, I don't think it should be ninety-two. Mm. Um, Pretty low. It is another David Lean movie, but I would argue for this one, I would place it more Noah Coward, mm. and because of that, I would make a strong case to keep it there. Yeah. Um, I do think that we could ease, we could lose a few David Lean movies, but I think, like I said, I think because this is more Coward, uh, Coward's movie, I think. I think it makes us. I would probably put this if we're talking straight Lean. I would probably put this above Doctor Zhivago. Yeah, I'm yeah. I'm okay with losing Zhivago. Yeah. I like Zhivago, but I'm okay with losing it. It's not the strongest of. We got to we got to replace it with that remake. Yeah, abs- oh, absolutely. Yeah, that long that, boring TV that remake one that, we, that we subjected Stephen Izzy to. Yeah, the one that we all got arrested afterwards <laughs> yeah. for seeing Kira Knightley at like what yeah, her 15? underage boobs. Yeah, Jesus Christ. <laughs> But, um, yeah, yeah, controversy over cuties. Has anyone seen the Zhivago remake? Yeah, really. Come on, guys. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no, it's good. It's 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 not my favorite war movie. It's a solid, solid picture. It feels Your favorite v- war movie, of course, is 1941. Uh, no, Wind Talkers. Oh, yeah, Nicolas Cage <laughs> in his prime, yes. Yeah, it's prime of 2002. <laughs> but uh, this is a good movie. I think it should be higher than 92. I think we could probably just... It's also hard for me to say we could lose the Dam Busters because of its influence. Well, we could absolutely lose English Patience, so we know there's room for it. We can 100% <laughs> lose the English Patience. So I like it. It's good. Watch it. Check it out, folks. It's on the Criterion channel. It gets one finger pointing up to the sky from me. And it gets two finger guns in the air from me. So that is an endorsement if there ever was one. Guys... Thanks for listening again. Thanks. You, you can. Um, you guys are cool. They are cool. Yeah. I, w- I would. Uh, we're in agreement. And it's not just because your moms told me that you were cool. I think that legit of my own volition. But also, your moms. Your did moms tell. did. did they emailed us and they said, "Look, our fan, our, our 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 fans, which are also our children, <laughs> that's and how we your re- fans. That's how we refer to our children as yeah, our fans. Our fans. Uh, they like you a lot. And uh, so. so also, Jason is dating all of your moms." <laughs> I mean, it's, you know, it's a real Alfie situation. It's my gift to you guys. With less sexism. Because li- literally, if I'm taking care of your mom, she's not bothering you, right? <sighs> Moving on. Jason, this is where we would roll the dice normally. Normally, we, are- we would roll the dice, but not this week, Brendan. You are going to get me evicted. <laughs> <laughs> Not this week, but we are doing a movie off the list, though. We are. But I felt like because next week is so close to Halloween. 
And we should continue the tradition from last year when we uh, watched uh, the Wicker Man. Specifically chose the Wicker Man. Yep. Yes. So we're specifically going to choose another uh, horror movie on this list, of which there are far too few to choose from. We've already watched Don't Look Now. We've already watched The Wicker Man. So we are going to watch number 78 on this list, and that is Peeping Tom, directed by Michael Powell and not Emmerich Pressburger, just Michael Powell. It is his solo effort. It is released the same year as Psycho, and there are, there is a lot of stuff to get into for this and movie. As I've said before, and I'll say it again, I believe this is a prequel to Back to the Future. I, nope. <laughs> but, Pretty sure it is. But in your alternate dement, alternate universe, you can have that. Um, and uh, yeah, we should. And speaking of Stephen Izzy. <gasps> oh my God. I, I hope they listen to the episode. It's going to be their last episode ever. Uh, joining us, I believe. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. After that, they are out of podcasting for good. They're yeah. going, they're going back into, into Utah. They're going to become Mormons and they are going to uh, live their lives. Yeah, in solitude. That's right. Away from each other. So st- so tune in for that exciting episode, the the final episode of Stephen Izzy. Peeping Tom, Michael Powell, director, 1960, number 78 on the list. But, but before that, as far as this episode is concerned, Jason, they can find us on Age of Radio. Yes! You might be listening to us right now on Age of Radio, but you can yeah. go to ageofradio.org slash for screen and country, or you can just go to Age of Radio and just find us on there. We're on Our the- friends Steve and Izzy are over there, uh, yep. a Home Video Hustle, and tons of other cool podcasts. Check them out uh, and tell them For Screen and Country sent you. Yeah, for a bonus promo code. That's right. Uh, when you download uh, Home Video Hustle, use promo code For Screen and Country to tell them that we mentioned their name. <laughs> and you get 10% off the price of one of their episodes. That's right. We also have an email address. You can email us at forscreenandcountry at gmail.com if you want to send us whatever. We just want to see it. Yeah. Send show it to us. Show us everything. Everything. Uh, you can uh, you can follow us on social media. We're on Facebook. Just search for For Screen and Country. And you can also find us on Twitter at BFI underscore pod. You can find Jason on Twitter. At Jason D. McLeod. That's M-A-C-L-E-O-D. And watch my descent into sadness and depression as this world gets weirder and shittier. But he but. also posts a lot of pictures, a lot of selfies of him floating on rafts. I do love rafts. Yeah. It's so very relaxing. You can check that out. Uh, but but as, as far as all that is concerned, Jason, I just have one thing to say to you. And what would that be, Brennan? God save the queen. God save the screen. And for screening country, I'm Brandon. And I am Jason. Toodles. Rock on. We'll have this war over by 1952. Working you by pleasure, son.